Great to be together uh, today, and uh, it was an awesome day at Women's Day yesterday. I got to be there all day, over 12 hours. It was awesome. <laughs> but uh, everybody did uh, participate. It was kind of an all-family event, and uh, too many people to thank that uh, even participated. But you know what? If you don't get thanked, that's good for you, because that means you get treasure in heaven. If people notice you, then you just lost your treasure in heaven, so... Oh, well... I hope the spa's great, Gina. You just lost your treasure in heaven. (laughs) All right, well, we're doing a worship series right now called Write the Future. Uh, What what we had to do, you know, Women's Month is March, month of March, and everybody was involved in Women's Day all month. So we had to kind of offset that a little bit. So we had this worship series that's like really manly. Uh, write the future. And uh, these men, Noah, Joseph, Moses, we love the women's ministry, though. We're just, we're just trying, to, we're trying to keep up with you guys, is what it is. Uh, so uh, these men of God, Noah, Joseph, Moses, David, and, and here are our titles. Now it begins. A split second can last an eternity. That was last week. Mar- uh, Marco preached. Uh, Moses, learn, adapt, overcome. And David, change history with just one strike. These are really cool titles, aren't they? We stole all of those titles. Anyone know, know where we stole those from? They're all Nike uh, magazine ads. <laughs> Not the characters, but those titles. Uh, they're all Nike magazine ads. But they're cool, cool phrases. Uh, well, we're switching up the order a little because uh, Dustin and I have been starting to get uh, more involved in the teen ministry. And the teen leaders, who are awesome, we love our teen leaders. We have a retreat for the teen leaders next weekend. So I was slated to speak on David next weekend and, and uh, uh, Steve on Moses today, but we're, we, we traded places. So we're skipping, and we're, we're, uh, if you came here to hear about Moses today, you get to hear about Moses next week. So uh, we're going to talk about David today. Uh, change history with just one strike. Just to give you a little timeline here, this is uh, kind of the Brian Craig music, music major uh, church history, okay? So this is like dumbed down. If you're a history person, uh, just you already know all this stuff, don't, don't worry. But this is for everybody else, you know? Because sometimes you think David, Jesus, Moses, Noah, all those people, they were all around the same time, right? And they actually weren't. And so I just want to kind of give you, this is how I keep it in my mind, my uh, music, art, double major mind. So uh, if you're a little more of an arts, uh, if you're an arts degree like me, maybe this will help you. Uh, if you're not, you know, super great with numbers and all that kind of thing. So this is, if you take a piece of paper and you draw a line and you, you divide it in half and then you kind of put a line in each area and that's zero, this represents the last 4,000 years of history, okay? So 2000 BC, 2000 AD. Now this is, a, this is tough, but where are we on here? We're right there, okay? 2014, got it? And zero represents who? Jesus. Yeah, so all of human history turns on, on this one man. He was a historical figure. We believe he was the Son of God. If you're visiting with us, we're great to have you with us. And that's, that's why we're here, because we believe in Jesus. And we believe that he rose from the dead. And we believe that means that everything he said was true, so we ought to follow him. And uh, it's, it's interesting because a lot of what he said is very different than what you see in church. So, you know, if, if you've been turned off by a religion or by, uh, you know, the, the religious world, 
that, you know, you're kind of in the right spot because so are we. <laughs> because the teachings of Jesus are so much meatier, it's so much different, so much life-changing. But anyway, so that's Jesus there. If you divide each one of those again, so that's 1,000 B.C., that's David. Okay, so that's, David was 1,000 years before Jesus. And just to kind of fill out the Old Testament, Abraham was about 2,000 B.C. So, and then you divide it again, and there's the Exodus, and there's the exile. So this is Abraham to the Exodus is roughly around 500 years. Exodus to David is around 500 years. David to the exile, which is where the people were sent out to Babylon, is about 500 years. And then Jesus. So that, that, this is, again, this is how I remember it all. They're not exact dates. It's just kind of a basic overview, all right? And then a, couple, a few weeks ago, we kind of did 2,000 years of church history in, in 15 minutes. I'll throw that up there, too. So about 1,000 is around the Crusades. Uh, halfway between there is when the church really became pretty corrupt. Uh, and then uh, about halfway between there is about when things started to reform. And that's where we are today. Okay, so does that help? See where David was in history? So roughly about 3,000 years ago is when David was, about 1,000 years before Jesus. And he was a, a very important figure. He's mentioned... Uh, 66 chapters of the Bible are devoted to this guy. And more is said about him than any other person in the Bible other than Jesus. If you know the story of of David, if you know his life, he had some horrible parts of his life. Uh, You know, I I, I told the story of David and Bathsheba. Somehow it came up, I think uh, Jameson was going, oh, I don't want to be like David because I learned about this part of his life and I don't want to be like him. And, And Cora was like, well, tell me more about what happened. So I told her the whole story and she was like, that's the saddest story I've ever heard. And it just kept, kept sticking with her because it is a sad part of his life. But I think we're going to see that he stepped out of some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today in his early life. And I think that's what led up to that. That's a whole other sermon. We're going to go there. David was not perfect. He can give you hope if you're not perfect. But I think there's a lot we can learn from David. So we're going to go and turn over to 1 Samuel 16. And as we do that, uh, let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you uh, for who you are. Thank you for your view of history. God, uh, that's all. The Bible says a thousand years are like a day to you. So as you look at that timeline, as you as you look at who we are, you know, Abraham was just four, uh, you know, four minutes ago or whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, God, uh, David was on this earth. And uh, God, thank you that we can be a part of that great story. God, that each person here is a story to you. And you know, every heart, the Bible says, you know, the number of hairs in every person's head. And I pray that each one of us individually can listen to your spirit and what he wants to say to us right now, God. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of what your spirit wants to say to each person here. Thank you for the victory yesterday with all the people that came out to Women's Day. Thank you that those are here again today to hear more. And I just pray that you'd speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Samuel 16. Let's all go turn over there. You know, that title, Change History with Just One Strike, it brings to mind this idea of, uh, you know, this moment in time where, that everything has all kind of come together for this one moment. And uh, we kind of like that idea. You know, there's a lot of movies about that. There's a lot of songs about that. It's a Whitney Houston song. I'm not going to sing it for you. Where's Samuel? Why can't I find it here? One moment in time. <laughs> All right. So David had that moment, but there was a lot that led up to that moment. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. What, what led up to that one moment that changed history with just one strike? What were some of the things that led up to that 
So hopefully we can all learn from that. So we're going to get a little context here. 1 Samuel 16, uh, Saul, who was the first king for God's people, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't work out. He, he put himself above God's will, and God rejected him as king. And so God wanted someone else to be uh, anointed king. And so God uh, says to... Oh, I'm in the wrong spot here. I'm in 1 Samuel 23. Hold on, let me get to the right spot. 1 Samuel... 16. Everybody else is there. Okay. So uh, it says in verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Bethlehem was not like a major town. It was a little bitty kind of nothing, little uh, Hicksville, you know? This little place that nobody's, uh, nobody goes to. It's just a small little place, shepherd community or whatever. So, so even just that, the fact that one of this guy's sons was chosen to be king was kind of huge. Like, this is a nobody that God is choosing for king. And, and Samuel was the, the, the lead of the, of the people up to this point. He was the, the religious leader, the, the, the spiritual leader. And so he's gonna, he, God is telling him, go and I want you to choose one of these guys' sons. And, and so he goes there. He, he comes to their household. They're a little afraid because they're like, why is this guy here? Uh, and then uh, in verse 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that was the oldest of Jesse's sons, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is a great verse right here. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, others measure your waist size or your wallet. Not God. He examines hearts. And when he finds a heart, he calls that person. He calls that heart. He claims that heart for his own. And so he saw something in David that made him go, this is the guy I want. So that's what we're going to be looking at today is why did God choose him? And it's interesting because the story goes on and, and one, one after another of Jesse's sons come Seven sons come, and each one, the whole Spirit is speaking to Samuel, going, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him. And each one, Samuel's like, oh, this has got to be it. Oh, this has got to be it. So finally, the, there's no more sons left, they, the, Samuel thinks. And he says, to, um, he says to Jesse, you know, are there any other sons left? Uh, verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. I will not sit down in, until he arrives. And so then David arrives, and, he's, and he is the one that God has chosen. But it's interesting that uh, th- that word that's translated the youngest, uh, I wrote down what it was here because I don't, oh, it's hakaton. Hakaton is, is the Hebrew word, H-A-Q-Q-A-T-O-N, hakaton. It applies more than age. It suggests rank. So it's kind of like, like, like pipsqueak. You know, or Scooter, or <laughs> Skippy, you know, like, he's the little guy. You know, there's seven sons, and he's just, like, it, it's so bad that, I mean, imagine you're a father, and this guy's coming over, one of your sons. But even in his own father's mind, David is ruled out. He doesn't even have him there. Somebody's got to care for the sheep. Uh, David, you know, Pipsqueak has got the sheep, and then I've got all my, my boys. So, I mean, that's, that's David's culture. That's what he's growing up in. So he was not exactly like, you know, got all this uh, love and attention and affection. And you know, I mean, he was kind of leftovers. And yet that's who, who Jesus, who God uh, chooses to be the, the descendant of Jesus. Okay, First Samuel 17. Let's skip over to the, the story that we all know, David and Goliath. 
And I, I just want to kind of give you a word of caution here. Don't rule this out because, or don't kind of oh, go somewhere else in your mind because, oh, I know that story, David and Goliath. Everybody's heard this story. Even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. But I guarantee you there's something to learn here from this story. And this is not a children's story. Like, this is something that really happened. In fact, it's a pretty graphic, violent story if you kind of get into it. Um, but this is huge. So I want you to, to pay attention, not check out here. It says in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Succah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, which is over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of, of, a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. That's uh, when, when a weaver has a rod at the bottom and a rod at the top and then all the fabric stretched in between and then they run the, the thing back and forth between the shuttle back and forth. So that that has to be really strong to hold all that tension. So it's a big, you know, like a, like a big, huge dowel like that. Okay, it's iron point weighted 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. You know, you picture your, your average weight, you know, I don't know what you use 15 pounds for. Maybe it's a curl. I can do a little more than 15 pounds in a curl, so thankfully. Maybe it's this, you know, I can do this with 15. Whatever it is, that's a lot of weight, though. That's, a, that's the head of the spear, I mean, if that hits you, I just picture you're just done. I mean, that's, it's just going to go right through your body. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So if it's not enough for this nine-foot-tall giant, there's an extra guy with this big old shield running in front of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, We will become your subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So this is is a picture on your screen of the the modern day. This is the Valley of Elah. Modern day, you can see some kind of farming going on there in in the bottom there. But... There's one army on one hill and another army on another hill. And then Saul, I mean, Goliath comes down into the middle. And Saul and his men are just terrified. What, what, what the, the scene was is, is this is a, a man-to-man comment, uh, single combat it's called, which was a common practice in the ancient world where uh, two men would fight each other, one representing each, each army in hopes that maybe that would settle things and there wouldn't be this huge, huge war. So that was what was happening, but... For 40 days, day after day, morning and night, this guy's coming out and just taunting them. And they're all just paralyzed in fear because who's going to go fight this guy? 40 days. And, and, and personalize this for you. There might be a Goliath in your life that is taunting you. That day after day is just kind of picking on you and you just feel stuck. You feel paralyzed. You feel like you can't move forward because of fear. And, and that's what I, I, w- I want to see you uh, change today and get hope from the scriptures that you can overcome Goliath. Don't, don't, but, but try to identify that in your mind. Who is the Goliath? What is the Goliath in your life right now? And we're going to look at some things that, 
that David did or that we see in David that made him effective. Okay, so let's keep reading. It says, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. In Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. And we read about them a little bit. Uh, firstborn was Eliab, Abinadab, Shemaiah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Uh, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son, son of David, said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So the first thing I want to talk about is watching sheep. So it says David is going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Uh, you know, he was, uh, he, he was the one that, that was taking care of the sheep, taking care of the father's business. The older guys were there at war and, uh, and, and they're part of, of Saul's army. But, so David goes there and he hears what's happening. And it, I love this. I love this story. It's so classic that he is there. The only reason he's there is because he's bringing bread and cheese to his brothers. My son Marshall was, was laughing because in the VeggieTales version, he's delivering pizza. <laughs> so it's bread and cheese, you know? So he's just, he's just nobody, and so that's what he's doing there. Uh, and his brothers get mad at him. They mock him. Uh, we're going to read that here in a second. You know, what are you doing here? You're just here to see the battle. Go home to your sheep, you know? <laughs> but, but there's something that watching sheep for all that time, that, that did for David, I really believe. Because, you know, think about it, you're, you're spending hours and hours and hours and hours out there in the wilderness with nothing to do but watch these sheep. And, and what do we know from Scripture David spent that time doing? Well, we know for sure he wrote songs. So he was out there for a lot of time and, and he, he, you know, he learned to play the guitar really well. It was the harp back then, but, you know, nowadays it's the guitar. So he learned really, he learned a skill while he was there. He also learned to be really good at the sling. And we're going to talk about that. But he probably had a lot of time on his hands. And you just picture him with the sling, just practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. Because he's, you know, he's doing nothing. He's watching sheep. He also really learned to be close to God. Because if you pick, picture you're there all by yourself for hours and hours and days on end, nobody to be with but God. But you, know, you read the Psalms and there's almost no one in Scripture next to Jesus that has that intimacy with God that David did. You just see such an intimacy with God that no one ever before him had had. I mean, even Moses, even these other men of God, God was the creator God. God was this great, uh, you know, powerful, all-powerful God. But there's just an intimacy you see with David that happened during that time watching sheep. And so there, God will allow things in our life or times in our life or seasons in our life where it seems like nothing's going on. Or it seems like this is kind of dull, or this is kind of boring, or this is kind of mundane. And yet, a lot of times, those are lessons that we are learning that will set us up for that one moment in time. They set us up for that moment where one strike can change the world. If David hadn't had all this time to get really good at the sling, it never would have happened. And what he says to Saul is, you know, there was a, a bear that came, and I killed the bear. There was a lion that came. I killed the bear. There was some, some scary things that happened that set him up so that when this time comes, he's, he's prepared. Uh, you know, I, getting involved with the teens in the junior high ministry, I, I'm telling these young men and women 
often, you know, that this is an important time in your life and the things that you're learning right now will follow you the rest of your life. The decisions you're making right now will follow you the rest of your life. I mean, so many of us, even today, you know, in our 40s or in our 50s or whatever we are, there's things that are in our life because of what happened in our teens. Good things, bad things. I mean, I'm into music today because I got into music at that age. I'm into art today because I got into art at that age. You know, and, and I'm, we're seeing that. You know, it makes me think about the future in our, in our church. It's going to be really cool. Even at Women's Day, you know, seeing, ha- how, seeing Haley uh, Jackson dancing on stage, you know. How's God going to use that? Maybe she's a future Gina someday, you know. Uh, see, seeing Peter Blanco play the piano. Seeing, you know, seeing the, these young people use their gifts. God has a plan. Seeing the kids choir up here, you know, and the cable kids, you know, that kind of form the nucleus of the of, of the kids' choir. I mean, God has got great plans for those guys. Uh, even I'm always telling my son, Jameson, his, his buddies, Dylan and, and Joshua and, and uh, Julian, you know, they're really into basketball. And I just think it's so cool because they're going to be, when they're my age, they're going to be able to go to any, any park, uh, wherever they are, and just meet people like Calvin does, you know, invite people to church and make friends. I can't do that. If I go on the court, I, I, I hurt the gospel of Christ. I don't help the gospel of Christ. <laughs> You know, if I get out there and it's like, hey, I'm a minister, it's like, oh, really? Surprise, you know? Uh, so, but, but, but these guys, they're, they're developing a skill that God's going to use someday. And so, you know, my son James is like, yeah, I can be like Andrew Desario, because that's what Andrew does. Andrew goes out and meets people on the court. I can be like Andrew someday. I'm like, yeah, you can be like Andrew, you know? Uh, so God, God has a plan. Even if you're old, uh, God still has these mundane periods, these, these times of, of watching sheep. Don't, don't, don't wish away those times because God is often preparing you for something uh, that he wants to do in your life. So stay faithful to your responsibilities like David did. Be diligent even in small things. There's a principle Jesus said that he who is faithful with small things with little will be entrusted with great things and be entrusted with much. So it makes you useful to God how you act in those times. All right, the second thing is picking stones. Let's continue reading here. So David hears the, what, what he says. Um, the, the guy comes forward and says it. Let's skip down to uh, uh, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? So not the best family dynamic there in David's life. He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. When David was overheard and reported to Saul, Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That's the first point. When a lion or bear came off and Carried a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. See, he was faithful in his responsibility. If it were me, it'd be like, that's a darn good excuse. What happened to the sheep? Oh, sorry, Dad, a lion came. <laughs> it was a bear. I mean, that's, this guy was responsible. Jeez. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will, look like, will be like one of them, because... 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David, Saul said to David, dress, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his own sword over the tunic and tried walking, oh, fasting, sorry, verse 39. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So I think that's the king's sword. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took in his staff, a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. There is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So uh, backing up here a bit, we're going to get to that, that last part. It's so awesome that we just read. But backing up, it, it says, he, he tells you know, Saul, Saul has his approach. So Saul says, okay, I'm going to put you in all of my armor. <laughs> you know, Saul's like, I'm not going to fight this guy, but if you want to go, here's, you can have my armor, you can have my sword, you go, guy. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, so Saul probably should have been the, the leader, right, to step up and do something. But he's like, well, I'll give you all my stuff, though. So he puts all his best stuff on David. David's like, I can't go like this. I'm not used to this. This isn't my approach. This isn't my way of doing things. So he gets rid of all that. He, he's got his own uh, clothes on, he's got his own staff, he's got his own sling, and he goes and he chooses five smooth stones. What was he doing there? What was happening there? Um, you know, David was, had his approach. He knew what worked for him. And what Goliath was expecting was uh, this, more, this hand-to-hand combat, infantry combat, somebody to come at him on his terms in the same way. And David was like outside of that. There's a, there's a, a new book by Malcolm Gladwell that's pretty cool about this called David and Goliath. Some of you might be Malcolm Gladwell fans. If you don't know who he is, he's this super smart guy that comes up with the way all these things fit together. He wrote like Tipping Point and Outliers. And, but in this one, he talks about David versus Goliath, and then he talks about real-life situations where the person who's the underdog, you know, you, you look from that. A sling was not, we think of a sling sometimes, and we think of a slingshot, or we think of this is kind of a boyhood toy. This, a sling was not a boyhood toy. This was, this was a weapon. Uh, slingers were just as valuable in an army as archer, archery was. Uh, and, and these guys, uh, like uh, this guy from the book, it says, uh, Elton Hurst, a ballistics expert, expert with the Israeli Defense Forces, recently did a series of calculations showing that a typical size, uh, s- typical size stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters would have hit Goliath's head with a velocity of 34 meters per second more than enough to penetrate his skull and render him unconscious or dead. Uh, another excerpt, it says, that The modern world record for slinging a stone was set in 1981 by Larry Bray, 437 meters. You know, your, your accuracy suffers at that distance, but, but 
slingers were, were, these were real guys and they knew what they were doing and they, they, they became really, really accurate with it. And it's, it's kind of foreign to us because we're not used to this kind of thing. But in the book of Judges, it does talk about Judges 20, verse 16. Listen to this. It says, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now that might be a limitation. 700 of these, that was before David. If he's a slinger, he's, he's good at it. And so he's, he's approaching David with what he knows and what he's good at. And so it's not like he's just like this little kid that just with a little slingshot and a little toy and, ha ha, I'm going to get you. You know, he was, a, he was a warrior, but he was using a different approach. And so uh, like in every, in the book, Gladwell talks about how every army has, there's three main uh, categories. There's the cavalry, which is the, the, on, on horses. There's the infantry, which is what Goliath was. And then there's the, the projectiles, shooters, like archers or slingers or whatever. And each one has an advantage over the other. So, like, the, the cavalry can take out your projectile shooters because the cavalry moves fast enough that the projectile shooters can't get them very well. The projectile, it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, right? So the, the, the projectile guys, the slingers or the archers, beat infantry because, because the infantry moves slow. They've got all this armor, but they move slow. And, and then the, the, the infantry beats cavalry because, they, you know, they're, they're, they're past. So any, anyway, each one has an advantage. So in a sense, David had an advantage in that he was, he was quick. He was maneuverable. He, and so it was, it was kind of genius that he went, went at this a whole different way. He was creative, and he had a plan. And so my point is that is, is absolutely it was God. It was a miracle of God, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And his focus was on God. But I think for us, picking stones means do what you're good at. Figure out what are you good at, what are you into, what has God blessed you with, what gifts has God given you, and use those gifts. We're not all the same. Why try to all be the same? In fact, Paul says that's what's great about the body of Christ is we're all different. And we all have different gifts. And so you're not going to approach the spiritual battle in the same way I may approach the spiritual battle. You're not going to be good at the things I'm good at. And that's okay. We all got to try to be like Jesus. And he was perfect. But, but see, how has God gifted you? What can you use for his kingdom? What can you use in the spiritual battle? What are your five spiritual stones? You know, what's your approach going to be to fighting Goliath? It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, you don't have to kind of respond in just the way that Goliath expects you to respond, which is put on Saul's armor and go out there and, and just get killed. Uh, this is a cool quote here. It says, um, An expert slinger could kill or seriously injure a target at a distance of up to 200 yards. The Romans even had a special set of tongs made just to remove stones that had been embedded in some poor soldier's body by a sling. Imagine standing in front of a major league baseball pitcher as he aims a baseball at your head. That's what facing a slinger was like, only what was being thrown was not a ball of cork and leather, but a solid rock. So I thought about Jerry coming up here and demonstrating. (laughs) Jerry is a major league pitcher. He maxed out at, what, 98 miles an hour? 102 miles an hour. And and if there's anybody who'd like to volunteer... (laughs) so you know that's so i mean this was a this this sling 
was going 150 miles an hour, they think, that rock was going. And so, you know, David picked what he was good at, and he was creative, and he didn't, he didn't have the, the typical approach. So, so figure out, what, what has God given you? What are your, your five stones? Uh, third point here, trusting God. In verse 45, you see a glimpse into David's heart. Uh, he's all about God. He says in verse 45, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And he's got some guts. Don't you love that? Uh, I'll give, I'll give the, the carcasses of the Philistine army, the birds, all the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it is not by sword or spear, but, but the Lord who saves. The battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. And Lord is capitalized in your Bible. So that means it's the holy name of God. It's Yahweh. It's, it's, it's God's name. It's, it's not just God. It's, it's, it, I know God. I know who this is. This is the Holy One. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord of hosts. That's, all of this is in, in God's name. He cared about God. He cared about how God's name was being profaned. He cared about how God's army was being dishonored. He cared about giving glory to God. His whole heart is like, I want to see God glorified. This, is, this bothers God. This is not right what's happening. That's why he was so indignant. The whole army was just paralyzed by fear because they were looking at what? Goliath. All that, that we read about him. He's nine feet tall. His armor is 125 pounds. They knew all the stats. You notice that? It's recorded. His, his, the head of that spear is 15 pounds. Maybe they just discussed that with each other. And his armor is like this, and his, his sandals are like that. and his, you know, They knew every stat about this Goliath. And yet David doesn't say a word about that. David, you know, everyone else is all about Goliath. David is all about God. And so it's not even so much David versus Goliath. It's Goliath versus God. It's God focus versus giant focus. And that's convicting because I think we can be so humanistic in our focus and what we focus on. We can be humanistic in what gets us irritated or or enraged or what gets our, our guile up or gets us riled up. What gets you riled up? You know, with David, it was that this guy is insulting God. It, it riled him up. And there was a, a, a psalm where, where David said, zeal for your house consumes me. David was so consumed with God's honor and God's glory. And, and what do you see in Jesus? Same thing, don't you? In fact, his own followers, when Jesus went to the temple and he was so incensed by what was happening at the temple, by people trying to steal money from people there in the temple... He, he, got, he got ticked, and he did something about it. And his own followers were like, what's he doing? They're like, oh, I remember in the Bible it says, zeal for your house consumes me. That's what David said. Jesus is like David. For me, though, I, I feel like I can get riled up about things that impact me. Like somebody said something not true about me, or somebody doesn't like me, or somebody cut me off in traffic, or somebody's trying to steal from me. I'm getting ripped off here. You know, that gets me mad. Doesn't that get you mad? It's, like, I had this interaction on eBay where I got, you know, I bought a, tried to buy an iPod for, I mean, an iPhone for Jameson, and it turns out it was like a stolen iPhone, you know, and then I could, had a lot of trouble trying to return it. I was so mad! You know, but this is just me. It's just, you know, a couple hundred dollars. How do I, how, how do I feel emotionally towards something that's dishonoring God? When's the last time I got riled up about that? About how people view God? 
And, and the other thing is, that the other way that David was God-focused was focusing on God's power and not who Goliath is. And I think that's another way that I can not be like David and that I can be so consumed with the problem or the issue or, 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 or what's the obstacle is rather than God can do anything. God is going to do something and, and be God-focused. What about you? You know, where is your focus? Are you focused on God or are you focused on Goliath? I appreciate, uh, you know, being in this Women's Day, a part of it with Gina, I appreciate how God-focused she's been the whole time. Every conversation, she's like, God's doing this, and God's doing that, and I had a conversation with this guy, it was totally God, and I had a conversation with this guy, it was totally God, and God did this, and God did that, and God did this, and God did that. It's just so awesome, she's so God-focused. And I thought, man, if we could all uh, have that, for everything we're doing, just what is God doing, what is God's will, even the Bible says pray in God's will, right? So as we're praying, God, what is your will? Just seeing God in everything, that's how David was. He trusted God. we got to be like David and not like the ranks of Israel, paralyzed by fear. Instead, we got to be God-focused. Amen? Uh, last thing, running to the fight. Verse 48. It says, as, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And, you know, it goes on, there's this incredible victory. You know, you just picture David... You know, the, the huge guy falls. And imagine, you know, if you've ever seen somebody pass out, you know, where there's, they're just dead weight. I mean, they hit hard, don't they? That's where they really get hurt is because they smack their head or something. Because if, you, if you're falling and, you, and you're conscious, then you kind of break your fall with your hands or whatever. But if you're, if you're passed out or you're unconscious, you just hit hard. So I picture this nine-foot-tall giant just knocked dead, you know, the rock goes into his brain and just, boom, hits the ground so hard. And David runs, you know, grabs that big sword out, just sawing off his head. I mean, it probably took some work because that guy had a big, you know, big cheese head, you know. If you've ever sawed a turkey, I mean, it's not easy. Hey, this is a violent story. I didn't write it. Cutting off his head. And, uh, you know, but he, he runs to the battle. He, it says he ran to the battle line, ran toward the battle line. And that's what gave him the advantage because he didn't have any armor. He, he, was, he was quick. He was maneuverable. I mean, Goliath is huge. He's got this armor that weighs 125 pounds. He's, he's got this giant sword. He's got the, all this stuff. I mean, he's probably like, you know, and David's just fast and he's maneuverable. But he's, he's running right towards him. And for us, that makes all the difference if we run toward the fight instead of away from the fight, instead of being paralyzed, running toward the fight. When's the last time you ran toward your challenge? Because we tend to retreat. We tend to kind of try to hide, hope the problem will go away, or, or try to kind of escape the problem into, into sin, maybe. You know, things we know we shouldn't be doing. Maybe things that aren't necessarily sin, but just kind of were checked out of the spiritual battle, like, just kind of, I'm going to go hide out for a while and hope the problem goes away rather than I'm going to run towards the fight. But the, the problem is that the problem never goes away. 
And uh, I, I remember learning this lesson uh, at, at my old job before I went into the ministry in the year in 2000. I was uh, the year 2000. I love saying the year 2000. Uh, in the year 2000, I went into the ministry. Uh, okay, I'm old, but when I was growing up, the year 2000 was like, that's science fiction, right? Of the year 2000. <laughs> Uh, in the year 2000, I went in the ministry. Before that, I, was, uh, I worked for a computer resale company. I was a, a marketer. I was in marketing for three years. Before that, I was in sales, corporate sales, for three years. And um, this is the time when they were kind of working the kinks out of the Internet and shipping and all this kind of stuff. So a lot of times, you would have these huge computer orders. I mean, I would have orders for $100,000 worth of computers and equipment and everything. And, and it's so amazing how often something would go wrong you know where this has to be there and something would go wrong because this is in like 1996 you know and uh i learned that the best thing to do is run right toward that problem the minute you know there's a problem you call the customer i just want to let you know here's what's happening here's what's going on i don't know the answer yet i'm sorry but here's everything i know you run right towards that problem because the temptation is Oh, I'm just going to kind of hide out. I'm going to hope the problem fixes itself. The customer calls. I'm going to ignore it, you know, screen my calls, kind of hope they go away. You, you, you don't earn customers that way. And, and you know what happens? What I learned is sometimes that's, that's how I got my best customer is, is through, uh, you know, through that approach, going right to the battle, going right to the fight. And then, and then they see you're with me because I know, you know, if you're honest, you're like, I want to be honest. There was a, a time even I messed up something. I'm like, I got to be honest. I could blame something else. I could say it was the system or whatever. I messed up. I, I forgot this or I forgot that. I don't even remember what I did, but I know I made a mistake. So I'm like, I got to be honest. I made a mistake. I messed up. I'm so sorry. What can I do? Here's where we're at. You know, that won the customer over because I'm being honest. You know, if I, if I made a bunch of excuses, then, oh, well, they probably assume I messed up anyway. So anyway, I just learned, I remember learning that because before that point, I would say I was a major conflict avoider my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I would always run from conflict, hope things would go away. I got a good story about that when I was in college, I'll say it for another time. But I would just run away from conflict. But this taught me I got to run to the conflict. And that's true spiritually in terms of if you're facing a Goliath, don't, don't just hope he's going to go away. Run toward the fight. Pray that God will be with you. Uh, put these other things into practice we're talking about, watching sheep, picking stones, trusting God, and then run toward the battle line. What is in your life taunting you day in, day out? The giant of depression, giant of divorce, giant of bigotry, giant of unemployment, giant of health issues, giant of your past. Maybe something that was done to you, maybe sexual abuse or physical abuse or just troubling issues in your past, things within you, giant of addiction, giant of your own frailty, your own fear and doubt, your own anger, your own lust, your own selfishness. Maybe it's a giant of your own bitterness or lack of forgiveness and you feel so controlled by this giant, this Goliath that won't let you, won't let you free. Maybe it's just worry and lack of trust in God. But whatever that Goliath is today, I want you to identify that between you and God uh, and, and make a decision. I'm going to run toward that giant with the power of God and I'm going to see what the Holy Spirit can do through me. I'm going to pick my five stones. I'm going to go in the strength I have. You know, maybe I don't have the match for this 
in terms of armor and, and, and weaver's rod size, uh, um, spear and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to go with my five stones. I'm going to chase down this. I'm going to go right at this Goliath, and I'm going to see what God does. Make that decision today and identify that as we, uh, as we clo- close out here today. I'm going to sing a song right now uh, called Face Off uh, that talks about this. It talks about going eye to eye with Goliath and, and, and uh, facing him down and not giving up until the battle is won for God's glory. And, um, oh, can you go back to that other slide real quick? Everyone, before I do that, go back to mine. Um, I'm going to sing, uh, sing this song, but before I do, I want to take a few minutes of silence and ask you to just pray for a little bit and pray about and ask God to reveal, you know, what is the Goliath you want me to attack? And pray that God would identify that with you, to you and, and that God would reveal to you what are these four things you need to focus on. Pick one to really focus on here as we, uh, as we close out our day today uh, because God is going to give you the victory if you don't ever give up. God, God uh, if you choose to step out on faith, God will come through for you and he always does every single time. Can't wait till everything feels right. Can't wait till things feel comfortable. Uh, critical, life-changing, history-making moments. There's always this feeling of, okay, here we go. I, God, I need you right now. I'm going to go for it, and I need you to come through for me. Watching sheep, picking stones, trusting God, running to the fight. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll have the song face off.